Welcome to another episode of the Looking Forward, Reaching Back podcast, brought to you by The Good Success Group. We are grateful to God for your presence, participation, and partnership. And now, here is Reverend Greer. Okay, so today our scripture reading is going to be coming from Genesis. Uh, Genesis 16, verses 6 through 13. Uh, so it should be shown on the screen at this time. So if someone would like to unmute and read that for us, we really appreciate it. Okay, I, I can do it. Thank you. All right, Genesis 16, chapter 6 through the 13th verse. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too nu- they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you so much for reading that. Thank God for God's word. All right, so again, um, just thank you so much for joining us. And so we're going to go ahead and uh, get right into the word. You have heard the um, scripture today, which was coming from uh, Genesis. And so uh, let us pray one more time. Like the word made flesh, allow the words of my mouth, dear God, to be redeemed by you uh, so that they can be effective and to accomplish your holy desires for your people today. Amen. And so um, in this uh, month of March, you know that we are we celebrate Women's History Month uh, during the month of March. Uh, and so I just want to start my introduction by saying that women in general uh, and black women in particular have been intricately involved in nursing this nation and this church, both physically and spiritually. Um, and yet throughout history and throughout to this present day and age, women have often been mistreated and regulated to the sidelines and footnotes of our collective history. Amen. Um, Amen. And so therefore, um, as you've likely, you likely have heard about the God of Abraham, you've likely heard about the God of Isaac and Jacob, but what about the God of Hagar? Have you heard about the God of Hagar? Um, there are some roughly 111 111 different women named in the Bible. 
but we often do not focus on them. And so today in honor of Women's History Month, we want to spend some time talking about Hagar's God. And we wanna speak uh, from the subject, the God who sees me. We wanna talk about the God who sees me. Uh, because my friends, if we are honest with ourselves, or if we knew the whole truth about our, our family history and our church history and things of that sort, many of us are survivors, many of us are strivers, many of us have success stories, um, because God seen and heard the cries of women like Hagar who came before us. Amen. We, we, we are definitely uh, 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 you know, living on the, the prayers of those who came before us, and many of them are the women who were in our lives and who cared enough about us uh, to pray. Amen. So we thank God for, for their lives and their legacy and for their, uh, for their prayers that they offered up to God. And some of them women are already going on to be with the Lord, but guess what? We are still here uh, living on those prayers and we thank God for them. But per our habit, before we zoom in on our primary text, uh, let us go back and provide a little bit of, of context uh, uh, for our current situation that we're in uh, when we find ourselves in this text. So I'm just trying to thank God so much for technology because what I'm doing right now, ladies and gentlemen, is I'm hitting a button at the bottom of my screen, which is allowing me to, to make this thing a little bit bigger so I can see it with my eyes. And so that's the, that's so, such an amazing feature that I, that I like. All right, so here we go. If you have spent even a few minutes in church uh, while growing up or attending vacation Bible school, you have likely encountered the story of Abraham and Sarah. Most of us have heard that story uh, many times during our lives. And you likely recall the promise that God made to Abraham uh, to make him the father of many nations and the the difficulty that he and his wife, Sarah, had with conceiving a child in their old age. You likely remember that story. You may even kind of remember how Sarah sought to help God out by convincing Abraham uh, to, to, to attempt to make a baby with another woman. You might remember that part of the story. However, many times when we retell this narrative, uh, we do it in a very sanitized way. Right. And we often gloss over the personhood and the womanhood of Hagar, who was the slave African slave girl who bore Abraham's first child. She bore the first baby. But we often gloss over her when we retell this narrative. Um, and we do this because if we put the real focus on her that we should, it would cause us to have some some discomfort. Right. With our beloved Abraham. Right. We talk about Father Abraham all the time. And. He has songs that we sing about even from our youth days. But to really examine this story, uh, it, it reveals that Sarah and Abraham, when we really look at them, it shows us that faith and flaws can, can coexist in the same person. Let me say that again. When we look at the story of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, we find out from reading that passage that faith and flaws can coexist in the same person. Now, let's look at Abraham. Abraham, who, again, is considered the father of our faith. He had a bad habit, ladies and gentlemen, of not protecting the women in his life, a bad habit of not protecting the women in his life, including his wife, Sarah. 
<clears throat> who he pimped out to the Pharaoh king to save his own life. And now Hagar too is about to suffer due to his lack of a protective instinct, if you will. Uh, he just doesn't seem to have that a part of his, his spiritual uh, or, or physical DNA makeup. He doesn't ha seem to have this protective instinct for the women in his life. And so some scholars suggest that Hagar was given to Sarah as reparations after the king discovered that Sarah and Abraham were indeed married, right? Um, so he gives her, he gives them uh, this, his, uh, this woman, Hagar, to be their servant, okay? And so Hagar's name means foreign thing. And I don't know about you, but I doubt that that is the name that came from her birth parents. I doubt that when she was you know, born in Egypt that her parents called her foreign thing. But every time that the name Hagar was spoken, it was a reminder that she did not belong and that she was indeed an outsider. That's what her name means. Remember that, her name means foreign thing, okay? Uh, Sarah, I, I want to deal with that thing for a minute. A thing is just like an object, right? That's not on my notes, but just a foreign thing, not even a foreign person, a thing. That's important to think about as we go forward. Sarah is a woman and a wife and an eventual mother and matriarch, a female patriarch and a flawed person. Uh, she's blessed and she's beloved, okay? She's, she's all of these things all wrapped up into one thing, all into one person. The biblical Sarah is a very complex character who exercises both privilege and experiences peril on her own side. Now, Sarah's economic and social privilege and national origin, origin those separate her from Hagar, even though these two ladies share gender peril, right? It, it was... It could be a tough uh, a, a, a prospect to be a woman in these days and times. Uh, I'm sure some ladies can say that's still true today, right, man? And so they shared that, but Sarah had wealth. She had social status over Hagar. I say Sarah faces gender uh, danger. If you go back and read chapter 12, she faces this gender danger when passing through Egypt with her husband, Abraham. He tells her to say that she is his sister so that he will not be killed, right? Uh, uh, should somebody desire to take her as their wife because she was such a beautiful woman that he feared that somebody might try to take him out to take his wife. And so he tells her, just say you're my sister. Now, you would think that after this experience, this would have caused Sarah to be a little bit kinder to other women like Hagar, right? She, she knew what it, like, it was like to face that type of gender danger. Uh, so you would have thought she would have been a little nicer to her. Now, in her, in her, um, now Abraham and Sarah had waited for God to provide them with the child for more than 10 years. And so they are desperate. They are desperate waiting for God to provide. And so in her desperation, Sarah turns to surrogacy. But guess what? It was a forced sur surrogacy. Amen. Uh, the text links Sarah's childlessness with her with the, her possession of the person and services of an Egyptian slave girl called Hagar, foreign thing. OK, the text links these two things together. And so although Sarah believes that God controls fertility, Sarah believes that she has the ability and the power and the right to control Hagar's body. OK, 
And so Sarah chooses to transform and repurpose her maidservant into a womb slave. Okay, she's going to hijack her body and use it to accomplish God's goals, which was to give them a, a child. So Sarah gives Hagar to her husband <clears throat> to become a surrogate wife, not really to be a concubine, because if that was the case, any children that would have been uh, conceived would have been considered illegitimate and unable to inherit wealth from this father, Abraham. And Hera's original goal, if you remember, was to give Abraham the heir that God had promised, right? How are you going to give me something that God promised? God, when God said that God would provide, right? Now, even if she had to hijack Hagar's fertility to accomplish it, she's going to make sure that she accomplishes what God said that God would accomplish. She's going to hijack somebody else's fertility to get the job done. That's what she's doing by giving Hagar to Abraham. And so in giving Hagar uh, to Abraham, Hagar became his second wife, right? She's not just a slave, even though that's essentially how they used her. She becomes a secondary wife. Her status is, is slightly elevated, but she still, she becomes, now she becomes hated by Sarah, right? So she gets this little elevated status by becoming his second wife, but now, guess what? Sarah begins to hate Hagar. And so despite doing what was required of her and accomplishing what Sarah could not do, she could not bear an heir for Abraham, Sarah begins to resent Hagar and she begins to abuse her harshly is what the text tells us. And so the conditions of her life become so harsh in the home of Abraham and Sarah that Hagar decides to flee. In, in doing so, Hagar becomes the first female in the Bible to liberate herself from oppressive, oppressive power structures. In, in other words, my friends, I'm saying that, that she becomes Harriet Tubman before Harriet Tubman. Amen. She decides to, to, to engage in this operation of liberation and she gets herself out of there and she leaves. But her leaving means that Sarah can no longer become a mother as she planned, right? She planned to become a mother through this other woman, but now that can't happen because Hagar has decided to leave the home. And so there will be no son in this house to carry on for Abraham and to inherit the family's fortune. Hagar has messed things up, in other words, the way they're probably looking at it. You know, she's, she's the one that has messed things up. She has thrown a wrench into the system uh, by leaving. Right. Not what Sarah did uh, on, on, by, 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 by putting her in this position. But they're looking at it like, man, you, you, you messing stuff up. And so she done left. Now, Hagar, by leaving, is now an isolated and pregnant woman out in the wilderness without any family support or protection. And so, again, we already said that it could be a very dangerous uh, uh, time uh, to be a woman, and especially to be out there isolated, alone, and now on top of that, she is pregnant, okay? And so she doesn't have any type of support system out here in the wilderness. And so there were, now when we go back and read this text, uh, you know, all these years later, we can see clearly that there were other options in regard to how Sarah and Abraham could have dealt with Hagar, amen? The obvious one is that they could have not held her as a slave. That's the obvious one. 
uh, even if they accepted her from the Pharaoh, because maybe you didn't just want to refuse an offer from the Pharaoh. Maybe that would have been bad for your uh, keeping your head attached to your body. Uh, so maybe they didn't want to refuse his offer to take her, but they could have, um, as soon as they got her, they could have chosen to, to let her go right away, right? They could have, you know, maybe they had wealth, they had money, they had means. They could have maybe, you know, made sure that she was taken care of. But again, remember, we said that being an unmarried woman, uh, where would she have gone, right? You know, she wherever she would have gone to get her own self set up and, and to have what she needed to be safe uh, and to be successful in life, where would she have gone uh, if they would have done that? So maybe that wasn't the best option in that day and time to just, you know, basically take her and then just let her go, drop her off somewhere. 10 miles down the road or something. That, that wasn't going to work. So Sarah could have, though, chosen to show a sense of solidarity and sisterhood with Hagar. That was an option. She could have, you know, been a little kinder and nicer to her. Uh, Sarah and Hagar, remember, are both one, women uh, and are now co-wives to Abraham. Both of these women will become matriarchs. Both of these women will uh, entertain the divine presence of God. And both of these women will uh, mother dynasties, okay, okay, these, they, they, there will be some great uh, uh, offsprings and nations that will come out of these women, okay, and so that's that's what's going to happen, and so they could, she could have been a little nicer to her, but but there was this this hierarchy between them, right, there was this, <clears throat> there, was, there was internal and external, uh, she employs that hierarchy against Hagar, Sarah does, so instead of embracing Hagar, Sarah traffics and violently abuses her. Okay, so this is what she had. This is what she does, and let's break that down for you for a second. <clears throat> first, hey, um, Sarah. Hey, first, Sarah offers her man Hagar's body and commandeers her fertility. Again, I say she she hijacked Hagar's fertility. Then Sarah claims and ultimately rejects Hagar's child and then blames her man, Abraham, for doing what she told him to do in the first place, okay? She, you know, she she orchestrated this whole thing and set it up. She wanted to play God. She wanted to bring the promise to bear, right? And, and, and so now she's dealing with the ramifications of it and she doesn't like it. And so she's shifting blame from one person to the next instead of looking in the mirror and accepting accountability for her own actions. Hey, Amen. that sounds familiar. We've been doing that since I guess the dawn of time. Uh, in her barrenness, Sarah responded to Hagar's fertility with violence, driving her out in chapter 16. So if you go and read that, you'll see where she drives her out in chapter 16 and later again in chapter 21. So it has become some type of a, a cycle that you will see uh, between these two women. Now, the story of Sarah serves as a Cautionary tale bearing witness to the temptation to exercise whatever privilege that we may have over somebody else, rather that rather than stand with them in our shared peril, uh, thereby extending and transforming privilege. What am I saying there? Sometimes we uh, have these per perceived or actual uh, uh, differences between us that allow maybe us to have an elevated status over somebody else. But that's just down here on the earth. If we are looking from the eyes of God, we are all on the same level, right? You know, so we, we have to remember and be careful about how we try to, to exercise power and privilege over, over people 
in our churches, in our families, in our communities. You know, it, you know, just we we shouldn't do that. And so, so reading Sarah will will help somebody if they're struggling in that regard to kind of maybe bring themselves down a little, a couple of notches, and to to realize that maybe instead of trying to see how I can get over on you and exercise my authority over you, maybe I can try to figure out where where do we have some common ground uh, that we that we are both some areas where we may be both struggling, the areas where we both uh, face danger and try to come together and, and work through that, and, you know, instead. Well, let's look at Abraham a little bit deeper. What he could have done differently. Abraham could have insisted on waiting on God to supply what God had promised, right? God had promised this. And so why not say, you know what, we're going to wait on God to do what God said that he would do. Uh, he could have assured his wife that God did not need a workaround solution to accomplish God's work and word. God spoke his word, right? And he said, this is what's going to happen. Do you think that God was going to let his word not accomplish what he said it would, right? Uh, it's going to happen on God's time, though. That's what that's the lesson that God was trying to get you to understand and get into your head is I'm going to do this on my time. And I'm going to do it at a time where it seems that it's after too late, right? I'm going to do it at a time where only I can get the glory and the credit for what comes to bear. Amen. And so that's what God was trying to, to do and demonstrate with them, but they, they didn't understand that. And so if Abraham would have said, you know what, honey, I, I know it's tough. I know we've been waiting for a while, but let's continue to, to, to demonstrate complete faith in God's promise. See, if he would have just done that, that would have kept Hagar safe. That would have kept her protected. And that would have kept her respected if he would have just been a, a little more committed uh, to, to demonstrating complete faith in God's word. Now let's look at how God responds in this situation. Uh, God's response is not liberation. And maybe you like me, when you were reading this passage, that's what you were expecting. That's what you were hoping when you were first really sitting down and studying this passage for yourself was that you were expecting for God to liberate uh, and set Hagar free. And so I was not expecting verse 9's go back statement where it says go back. God's message to her was disturbing to me uh, when I read this passage. <clears throat> She's told to go back to the place of pain, right? Go back to the place where you've been hurt or you've been mistreated and abused. Go back to that place. Uh, her willingness to go back after her self-initiated liberation demonstrates her strong faith and her radical obedience to God, right? So even though Abraham and Sarah, they didn't demonstrate, um, you know, this strict adherence to what God said, we see that Hagar, did, she does, right? She goes back and puts herself right back in harm's way, uh, uh, go right back to the place of pain, go right back to the place where she liberated herself. She goes back to that same place. Now, listen at this. God participates, though, in Hagar's and her child's survival and quality of life on two different occasions. Let's talk about those. Hagar could not could not have given birth in the wilderness, right? It is, it is unlikely that neither she nor the child could survive such an ordeal, especially in that day and time. Uh, but the best resources for sustaining the life of the child and the mother were within Abraham and Sarah's home and not in the wilderness. 
right? I, I know that's tough to, to believe, but she 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 had a better chance of of surviving the ordeal of of, of child uh, uh, birth uh, with with by being there than, than being out in the wilderness, just her and the child alone. They probably most likely both would have perished. All right, and then furthermore, uh, if this child is is to have any type of right, any type of inheritance from his father Abraham, Ishmael needed to be born in that household, and he needed to be circumcised by his father according to the laws and traditions of the time. If he would have been born outside of that house uh, and not uh, participated in the circumcision uh, by the father, he would have not had any uh, rights or access to those privileges that came from being a child of Abraham, a man. So he needed to be born inside of that house because no child is a mistake, is an accident. And so he needed to be in that home to get the full coverage that he had coming to him as a child of Abraham, amen. And so when Hagar and her, and her growing son Ishmael are finally thrust out of this home, we are told that God was with the boy and he became an expert with the bow and arrow. Uh, the child would now be able to protect and to provide for himself and his mother. Thus, and thus improving the, their quality of life. So we see that Abe, uh, Hagar and Ishmael are able to testify that our God can make a way out of no way. That's what God does right there for them through this whole ordeal. So what is the good news, preacher? Where is the gospel message in this text? Well, I'll tell you, uh, the, um, plain and simple, the God who sees me, is what she calls him, right? The God who sees me, that's our title for today. The God who sees me will come to see about me. Why? Because God's eyes are connected to God's, God's heart. God's eyes are connected to God's heart. So this is the first time in the Bible that the angel of the Lord appears in the Old Testament. Uh, and this angel is believed to be the pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity, namely the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. Uh, this is similar to what we find in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, right? Where we saw when the three Hebrew boys got thrown into the fiery furnace, and, and then they say, well, we see four. And one looks like it was, we believe that was the pre-incarnate Jesus making an appearance on the earth in the fiery furnace. And we see the same thing here, we believe, that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus who is coming to see about his child, Hagar, amen, and about her situation. So just as God came to see about Hagar to ensure her survival and her child's survival and to improve their quality of life, guess what? God sees, God knows, and God cares about what we are facing today, my friends. And so that, that's part of the good news that I see in this text today. And so no matter what you're going through, Jesus can be as near to you now as he was for Hagar way back then. And that is great news today for us, each and every one of us, because we all go through different things, amen? Probably going through some stuff right now and you need you need Jesus to be uh, as close to you as, as probably ever you have before in your life. Point number two, while she is commissioned to go back into this crucible of pain, she is sent back with the promise of prosperity promotion and protection, okay? And so this promise is similar to the one that God made to Abram back in chapter 15, okay? And so I, I, I know that 
you, I know that you, um, you know that we serve a God uh, who makes and keeps promises. I, I'm so glad to know that we serve a God who makes and keeps promises. If God promises it, God will fulfill it. He made promises to Abraham and his wife, and God fulfilled them. God made promises also to Hagar, and God fulfills those promises to her. Amen. And so God is still making and keeping promises today. If God has promised you some things, maybe maybe it's been a long time ago since God made those promises to you. But let this text encourage you today to keep holding on to the faith. Don't try to go outside of God's will and, and try to figure it out and try to do some type of MacGyver move yourself to try to make it work. You don't have to do that. If God, if God promised you, you don't have to try to figure it out, right? We see God will work it out, but we have to stay patient and, and, and believe and trust. If God has promised you anything, right? Even while, or especially while you are in a place of pain, right? Hagar was in a place of pain when God made her this promise. You need to trust that God will come through for you, right? God has not forgotten about you. God has not forgotten about the promises that he made to you. God has not forgotten about the word that he spoke. He's not going to let that thing uh, fall away. He's not going to let it return into him void. He's going to accomplish what he said it would. Okay, so number three, not only does God honor Hagar by giving her a promise of a large bloodline, something that God had only done with and for men up until this point, right? God had only made these types of promises to men to give them, uh, you know, uh, you know, this extensive seed uh, of prosperity, of posterity uh, and progeny. Right. God didn't make those types of promises to women uh, uh, until right here. Right. So and Hagar and get this. Hagar is the only person, male or female, to ascribe a name to God. She called God Elroy. And that's translated as the God who sees me. Again, that's where our title comes from today. That's what she calls God, the God who sees me. And so in this text, we get to witness a great reversal. You know, I like talking about the great reversal. We talked about that last week uh, with, the, with, with, with the power of giving names, right? You've, you've called, look at this. They've called me out of my name. What do they call her? Foreign thing. You've been calling me out of my name since you met me, right? But now I'll be recorded as the only human in the Bible who gets to assign a name to God based upon my experience with God. Hagar is the only person that can say that, right? She, she's the only person in the Bible that gets to assign a name to God. So the God who sees me. On seeing, let's talk about that, on seeing God, on this ideal of seeing God. This is extraordinary because in Exodus chapter 33 verse 20, it insists that no one can see God and live, right? No one can see God and live. That's what she's saying. That she's she's seen God and she and she gets to live. She gets to go on living from that experience. Uh, and so maybe, my friends, in this month of Women's History Month, maybe that text uh, should have read, uh, "No man can see God and live," right? Because this this young girl, she sees God and she lives to talk about it. And not only that, she gets to assign a name to God. How great is that? What a great reversal, the way that they mistreated her. And now she gets this, this, high, uh, um, this high position to be able to assign a name to God that we can still use to this day. Amen. That's awesome. And so here's the great news in this text. We serve the same God that Hagar served. Amen. Uh, the God who sees 
who saw her is the same God who can see you and see me today. God sees you, my brothers and sisters. Uh, God knows exactly what you're going through today, and God knows how to best deal with that situation, right? Um, Got to believe that. God's response might not be to get you out of the situation. I know that's what we usually want. We want God to come down and to rescue us and to lift us up and to, and, and to take us out of those situations, but sometimes that's not uh, the way God chooses to operate. Amen. That's what we see uh, right here, but we need to trust that God will see us through it. That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Even if God doesn't take me out of the situation, will I trust you enough, God, to see me through the situation, right? Can I demonstrate the same radical faith and obedience that we see displayed by our sister Hagar in our text today, right? That's, 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 that's the calling of the Christian, right? It's not always to be rescued, right? But to be reassured of the fact that God is with us, that Jesus is with us, and that uh, there's nothing that we cannot go through if God is with us. And guess what? There's no place that Hagar could have gone that God would have not been able to see her. So it doesn't matter even what you're going through today. It seems like nobody else can see you. You seem to be so isolated. You seem to be so cut off from the community and from those who you would think would be able to help you. But guess what? God sees you. And God's eyes are connected to God's heart. God cares about you. Um, I, I want to go back before we go. I'm, I'm, I'm done, but I, I really do want to go back because there was something in one of these verses that, that, the, that the angel asked, asked the question to her. All right, right here in verse uh, verse 8 right here. This is the angel of the Lord talking. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, he said, where have you come from and where are you going? And she says, I'm running away from my mistress, uh, Sarah, she answered. But I want to deal with that verse eight right there. It says, where have, where have you come from and where are you going? All right. That's a question, my friends, that, that we can still answer uh, today. Where have you been and where are you going? Right. And so as we prepare uh, uh, to get ready to go into our call to discipleship, I want you to think about that. You know, in your own life story, we all have a story. We all have a past. Right. Where have you been and where are you going? She, she was running because of the situations that were that were happening in her life, the way that people were mistreating her. She decided to do something about it. Right. But I, 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 but the, hey, we need to learn how to run to the Lord. Right. We don't have to, we don't have to run away from people, places and situations. We don't have to. We don't have to. We need to just make sure that we have a, we know how to get to the Lord. Make sure that we know how to, 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 to get, get a relationship with Jesus the Christ uh, so that God who sees us, you know, we, that we know that we can be confident that we have a, an assurance that he is going to respond to us. But before we can answer any of those questions, we first got to have a relationship with this God of Hagar, this God who sees us, right? We need to have a relationship with that God. And so if you don't know uh, the Lord Jesus today for yourself, we invite you uh, to pray with us uh, right now. And so let us turn our hearts and minds to prayer. Lord Jesus, for far too long, I have kept you out of my life. I acknowledge that I am a sinner and that I cannot save myself. 
No longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking. By faith, I receive your gift of salvation. I am ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for giving, thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart now, Lord Jesus, and be my savior forever. Amen and amen. And as I often say, if you if you prayed that prayer with us, you are saved right now. You have a relationship with this God who sees you, this God who cares about you and, and his, his, his eyes are connected to his heart. He will respond to you. If he's made promises to you, he will keep them. Uh, but yeah, let, let us also pray about the fact that um, sometimes we do feel like nobody sees us. Nobody cares that, that God doesn't even see us. Sometimes we feel like we get into some tight jams uh, and we're just there. We're just stuck. Um, but that's not the truth. You know, we, we, we're not we're not victims. Right. You don't have to have, you know, things might happen to us, but we don't have to have this victim mentality uh, that I often talk about. We don't have to, to, to operate like that. We, we just need to know how to, to, to pray and turn to God and allow God to intervene and to work on our behalf and to blow our minds in ways that only God can. Right. Only God can really, truly. Uh, heal us. Only God really can truly deliver us. Only God can truly really set us free, right? Only God. Some people can, can try to do things to improve our situations temporarily, but most of the time that's just a temporary uh, propping us up, right? But only Jesus has the power of resurrection. And that's what many of us need as we uh, prepare to turn our minds uh, during this Holy Week towards the cross. Uh, it's just remember that that some of the things that you need, my brothers and sisters, only God can do it for you. And so let us pray that we never forget that. Dear God, we just thank you so much right now uh, for the ways that you have uh, revealed yourself to us through the text today. We thank you for being the God who sees us. God, that even when it seems like we are uh, well isolated, that we are well tucked away and hidden from the from the world, especially during a global pandemic, but we have been instructed uh, to stay in our homes and to, to kind of just kind of uh, isolate and to, and to practice social distancing uh, to the extreme sometimes. But God, we pray for the minds and the hearts of the people today because sometimes they feel like nobody sees them and so don't nobody cares. But God, we know that you see us, that you care about us, and that you, you will come and see about us. You did it. When you came and you died on the cross, God, that was the ultimate uh, way that you demonstrated that you care, that you, God, but we might need you right now today to come and remind us of just how much you care, how much you love us, God. Remind us today of that. Never let us forget, no matter what the circumstances are that we're facing, right? No matter what it looks like, no matter what I've said to myself within my own mind, God, you, you care about me. You care about me so much that you thought I was worth coming to this earth and you, you died for me. And guess what? You're going to come back again for me. And so I thank you for salvation that I can be ready to, to greet you, God, when you come back and that I can be ready to live at peace with you upon your return. But God, I just need you to remind us sometimes that, that you do see, that you do care, that you will respond. 
So never let people uh, forget that. Now, if there's anyone today that is that is downtrodden, maybe they are a little bit down and depressed and low in their spirits because of everything that they've been dealing with, God, we just ask for you to reveal yourself to them the way that you revealed yourself to Hagar uh, so that they will they can have that blessed assurance that Jesus is theirs, that this thing is real, that you really do care about them, that you really do uh, want to see them uh, to live their best life and that you are going to, to do whatever it is that you can and will do uh, to see them through whatever it is that they're facing, God. We just thank you so much for doing that and for the awesome testimonies that they will be able to tell, uh, not just here and now, but down through the years, God. The way that you move and reveal yourself to them will be told for generations to come so that we can all be encouraged and reminded of your great love towards us. And it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen and amen. The Good Success Group would like to thank you for listening to and sharing this episode of the Looking Forward, Reaching Back podcast. If you have not already done so, please consider subscribing to this podcast so you can be notified of any future programming. And to sponsor future episodes of the Looking Forward, Reaching Back podcast, please click on the support button or connect with us via Cash App or PayPal. The information to do so is listed under the description for this episode. We thank you so much for your support.